And go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start into the next lesson. If you have your books, lesson 6, I saw Brother Brian passing out the uh, blank... Um, the blank lessons for this one, if you don't have one, but if anybody, did anybody not get one that needs one to fill in the blanks? Good, all right. Ephesians chapter 4, and we've been in this passage for quite some time. These Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, uh, and even into Ephesians 6 are just great chapters that, that help us uh, in marriage. But honestly, as we're going through these things, and I mentioned this last week, I know of a couple different times that I've mentioned it, but... Uh, this, these things help us not just in marriage, they help us in life, you know, and in all of your relationships, no matter what that is. It could be within your own family, it could be in your workplace, it could be anywhere. These, these, these principles apply everywhere. Now, of course, we're applying, applying them specifically to, uh, to marriage, but uh, it works for this at, at the same time. So Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be kind of uh, picking through this thing as we go through it, but... I know that, uh, that I've done this before. We, we've gotten a lot better at it, but have you ever overpacked for a trip? Well, you put this in there, and well, we might need that, so let's bring this, and well, we, we might need that, and well, you don't know what the weather's going to be like, so we better bring clothes for that, and you know, and pretty soon you end up with all of this luggage, and you bring it all into the hotel, and you end up using one or two pairs of clothes, you know? And you know, then you've, you've hauled this stuff all over the place, you've done all of this stuff, and you thought, man, we overpacked, right? We had way more than what we needed. Um, overpacking burdens you, and, it, and it a, lot, a lot of times it burdens the people around you at the same time. They find themselves helping you carry that extra luggage, right? Uh, it's, it's nice to have kids that can do it, but when, you, when the kids are not around, you're carrying all that stuff yourself, right? Uh, but Christian couples, I think a lot of times, quote unquote, overpack all the time in their marriages. What I mean by that is, you know, one spouse does something hurtful to the other, and the other spouse, rather than investing the energy and the love to, to diffuse the situation, to come up with a real solution, like we talked about in the last lesson, uh, they take on that burden of anger and unforgiveness. And in Ephesians 4, this, this passage we've been studying for the past few uh, weeks, we're, we learn how to travel with a lighter load. Um, and, and so in this study, we're going to look at how to respond to offenses with forgiveness. We talked last week, the week before that, about offenses, but uh, we're going to talk, how to respond, talk about how to respond to that with forgiveness. And so the first thing that we see is this, overpacking, overpacking. As we, as we journey through life, and that's kind of what this whole, this whole lesson is all about, you know, and, and we're comparing that to taking a journey um, but we're going to have opportunities to take on luggage that God never intended for us to carry. Um, here's how it works. The first thing is offense. First, somebody, in particular your spouse, uh, does, does you wrong. And I can, I can tell you that that's guaranteed to happen. Somebody, somewhere, is going to do you wrong. And most likely it's going to be in your own marriage. Your spouse is going to do you wrong. You're going to do your spouse wrong. Somebody's going to do something um, and of course, Jesus told his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. In fact, I, he says that in Luke chapter 17, you have that there um, in front of you on the, on the sheet, but Luke chapter 17, verse 1, then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. So it's not a question of if 
your spouse is going to offend you, but when your spouse is going to offend you. Sometimes it happens without even trying to offend. It just happens. It, it just happens in life, you know. Um, no Christian is perfect, so that means no spouse is perfect. And imperfect spouses are going to offend. Every marriage will have an opportunity for bitterness. Every marriage. It's not so much the offense that's committed as it is our response and the way that we handle that offense that determines what is going to come from the whole thing that happened, the whole offense that happened. Everybody has their own way of dealing with offenses. Some people explode in anger. You know, some, uh, some people clam up. There's a story about an airline uh, employee who found his own unique way of dealing with, that, uh, with, with being harassed. And so he was checking bags at the airport, and um, this businessman came up to him, and he was, he was just being you know, indignant with this guy, just, just really being rude to him and just you know, up one side and down the other with the way this guy was handling the bags and all of this stuff. And, and this airline employee, just, he just stood there. He just kind of handled it really well. And, and, and finally, this guy that was just berating him Moved on, went to tr to go catch his flight, and somebody that was in line behind him, what you know, he he got, it was his turn to talk to this this baggage attendant. And he said, "I have no idea. How in the world did you just stand there and take that from that guy? How did you just stand there and not you know blow up and get mad at him? He was he was just berating you up one side and down the other." And he said, "Well, it's easy. That guy's going to New York. His bags are going to Brazil." <laughs> Our natural response to an offense is to become offended in our spirits, you know, um, over what's been done. But the, and the Bible refers to that as a wounded spirit. And we're going to look at that in just a second in the Bible. Of course, offenses that are committed against us can create real wounds. And the Bible doesn't say that we have to pretend that the pain doesn't exist. It doesn't say that, you know, um, you know just, just because you were wounded, you have to pretend that you weren't, Right. I, I, <laughs> it's so funny. I remember th this story. Uh, there was, uh, it was a kid that was, um, I don't know, he was probably 15, 16 years old, may maybe a little bit older than that even. It shouldn't ever have happened in the first place, but he was messing around with a pocket knife. Right, you might remember that story. Brader, how old was he when that happened? Do you remember? Yeah, so he was, he was upper high school. He was messing around with a pocket knife, and he wasn't supposed to be, and he knew it. He was playing with that thing, and he stabbed himself right through the leg. And his legs started bleeding and everything else, but he, he felt so stupid about what he did that he didn't want anybody to know that he stabbed himself in the leg. So he just pretended like nothing happened. Next thing you know, he starts getting all lightheaded and he passes out, you know. And everybody's like, what happened? You know, he's like, I've stabbed myself in the leg, you know. That's, the Bible's not saying that because you got wounded, you need to pretend that the wound didn't happen. But, but a lot of the way that we respond to the offense, if we hold on to that offense and we allow that wound to linger without applying God's grace to that thing, then we're the ones who suffer. A wounded spirit becomes a very heavy burden. And obviously, you know, God says uh, very plainly in, in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1 right there, the offenses are going to come, but woe to him through whom they come. So, yes, he's not, he's not saying that the one who offended you is off the hook, but whether that load is, is composed of a lot of small grudges that have built up over time or or just one big thing that happened, it makes your relationship very heavy and very exhausting. And that's what we're talking about with overpacking. A wounded spirit is going to burden those around you on top of all that, especially those closest to you. And in a marriage, many times it's going to be your children that are, that are overburdened and, and cause you to lose the things that are truly valuable to you. 
Um, maybe even your marriage itself, maybe your walk with the Lord, so many different things. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 14 says this, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. A wounded spirit is too heavy for you. And a wounded spirit is too heavy for your marriage. So what is our response then? Our thinking is tricky here because we tend to believe that the reason uh, we have the weights of bitterness or unforgiveness is because of what others have done to us. Um, it's their fault, it's his fault, it's her fault. That's the struggle, right? Um, but the truth is that offenses will come in every marriage. It's, it's just a part of life. It's a part of any relationship. It's a part of any marriage. What makes the difference in traveling lighter is learning to be a good forgiver. Um, becoming a good forgiver begins with recognizing the responses that we will not take. If you travel by air, you see a list of items that are prohibited. Um, uh, we were traveling uh, just recently in Romania, and we told these boys over and over and over, do not, do not carry a pocket knife with you through security. Okay, okay, okay. We're going through security, and the next thing you know, one of them is handing over two pocket knives. <laughs> you know, What are you doing? You, you know you're not supposed to take those things on the plane. I forgot that I had them in my pocket, you know. Uh, there's a list of things that are required not to take on an airplane, especially post 9-11 after all of these things happened and now we have all this heightened security and everything else, right? But sometimes, sometimes the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, doesn't always catch those prohibited items. You might be able to sneak something past them onto the plane or something else, you know, but God, God sees everything. You're not going to sneak anything past him. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, and I hope you turn there, God gives us a, a list of completely prohibited items for our relationship. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31, and it does not get any plainer than this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then he says in verse 32, and be ye kind one to another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. All six of the emotional responses that are on this list are hazardous to your heart or hazardous to your marriage, and they should not be there. So let's, let's look at each one of these, each one of these words. Notice how uh, any of them might appear in your relationship luggage. The first one, you have that list there. You can put some little notes here. We're not going to take a long time through each of these things, but maybe adding some notes would help. Uh, the first one is bitterness. That's from the, from the Greek word pekria, and it, and it means acridity, especially poison, literally or figuratively. Thinking of, uh, think of an acid that's eating away at a solid, right? Uh, you see that happen sometimes uh, with a battery or, or something like that. But if you can picture that, that acid eating away at the solid, then you can see what bitterness does to your heart. That's exactly what it just eats away at it and eats away at it and eats away at it. Too many times I've seen uh, a bitter spirit just change the entire direction of somebody's life. You know, they get bitter at somebody or about something, and the next thing you know, it just, it just changes the entire course of their life. It causes them to make decisions that normally that person never would make. At least you would think that, but, you know, we think that refusing to forgive proves that we're the strong one in the relationship, but... In reality, refusing to forgive makes us very weak because it, it, it causes bitterness. Somebody said this one time, and I don't even know who it was, but it said uh, uh, having bitterness in your heart against somebody else is like taking poison to try to poison another person. 
You know, uh, I mean, literally, what good does taking poison into your body do to hurt that other person? It does nothing. And most of the time, the other person doesn't even know that you're bitter toward them. They go on with their life as if nothing's wrong, and that bitterness just destroys you. But that's exactly what this word bitterness is, is talking about in the Bible. Just that acid that's just eating away at your own soul. Wrath is another one. That's from the word thumos. It means passion, basically like breathing hard. It means fierceness, indignation, or wrath. Um, it speaks of basically that white, hot, you know, anger seething inside of somebody. And I know you've at least seen people that way. But if you go to bed angry and you allow that anger to simmer in your heart, eventually it's going to boil over in other ways. And, and you may not even frequently show it, but it's boiling under the surface of your relationship. And eventually it's going to boil over. Uh, wrath should not be part of our relationship. Another one, and kind of goes right along with that, is anger. That's from the word orge. It means violent passion, ire, or abhorrence. By implication, punishment. That's the anger that blows up eventually. Uh, so, so wrath is just that white hot seething underneath the surface. Anger is one that bubbles over the surface and, and, and lets everybody see it. And, of course, anger in general causes us to react to problems in the flesh rather than reacting to those problems in the spirit, which is the way that we should be, um, it's because our anger is usually self-centered, right? Our feelings were hurt. Our rights were violated. Our efforts were unrecognized, whatever. But it, uh, it's, it's one of those root causes that we talked about that causes problems in a marriage, and that is all about selfishness. It's all about pride. It's all about me. And when it becomes all about me, then, of course, I'm going to get offended. When it comes all about me, then, of course, I'm going to have anger. Here's another one that's not used as much, but the word clamor. That comes from the word crouch, and it means an outcry. Um, I think maybe perhaps the easiest present-day example is about 90% of social media posts that we see today, right? <laughs> People are so, uh, you know, there's, there's usually more sound than substance to it, you know? Uh, the bark is worse than the bite. We, we saw just, it was just a little clip, and I don't even know where it came from, but we, we saw this little clip of, of these dogs, and maybe you've seen it before, because I, I think it's been around for a little while. These, these, it was two dogs on each side of this electric gate, and they're just barking at each other like they're going to try to, you know, like they want to just kill each other. And this gate all of a sudden opens, starts going back, and these dogs, you know, they're following this gate, and finally the gate gets all the way to the point where it can't open anymore, and the dogs just stand there looking at each other, you know? Uh, and that's, that's a lot of times, that's what this clamor is talking about, just, but, you know, more sound than, than substance. And, and um, but a, a lot of marital fights are like that. Both spouses are just you know, just loosely tossing threats at each other. Well, you did this. Well, I'm going to do that. Well, I'm going to do this and whatever else. Make dramatic claims to get the other one's attention. And one problem with clamor is that it usually never works. It just provokes the other person to more anger and to more wrath. And, you know, um, it pro provokes the same or another type of anger from the other spouse. So clamor should not be something that's in our relationship either. Here's another one. Evil speaking. That's from blasphemia, and you can probably figure what the root of that is. It's the word blaspheme. It means vilification, especially against God, but evil speaking or railing. And this sometimes takes place in person, but a lot of slandering somebody else's name you know, happens to other people. And, I, and I've talked about this quite a few times before, but it's the kind of talk that happens around the water cooler, you know, talking about, well, the old lady, you know, she does this and she does that, you know, uh, or, or, you know, 
my husband just can't seem to whatever. That is something, evil speaking, it's, it's literally gossip, you know, and just because it's talking to somebody that you know closely or uh, talking about somebody that you know closely, and even if it's true, it's still gossip. And that is the, the, the best way to tear down the trust in a relationship is to go tell somebody else about your problems, you know? I shouldn't be going to other people and telling, my, you know, telling everybody else about my wife's problems. She doesn't have any anyway, but... If she did, I shouldn't be going to tell other people about those things. Because when that comes back to her and she finds, she's going to know who told, you know, because nobody else knew about it except me. And when that gets back, now how can she ever trust me with anything that is close to her? Right? That's what this evil speaking is talking about. You should never, unless you're, unless you're going to get counsel or something like that, you should never expose the things in your relationship that are closest to both of you. That's what evil speaking is all about. And then malice. Malice is from the word kakia. It means depravity, evil, wickedness. That's when your anger becomes meanness. And that's, that happens a lot of times, especially when it gets to the point where couples are, you know, uh, maybe in that separation mode, maybe not quite to divorce yet, but they're, they're separated from each other or they're just not really speaking to each other and they're doing everything they can to just be mean. That's what malice is. It can happen when you're, you know, um, actively plotting revenge, refusing to speak to each other, or, you know, just uh, freezing the checking account, preparing food that you know your spouse hates, or whatever. I mean, just, just anything you can think of to be mean. That's what malice is all about. But, but it can also happen when you passively accept that sinfulness in your life, too. You excuse your spouse's failures. Uh, you know, I've heard too often of, of, of a spouse that excuses an affair or even an addiction to pornography or something like that in retaliation because he or she does not meet my needs, so I'm allowed to do this, you know? Well, I can have this affair at work because my wife doesn't treat me that way at home. Or a lot of times it happens with wives when it comes to work because somebody actually gives them affection, and it's affection that they're not getting at home. And so, well, he's not giving me affection, and I find it here, so it's okay. No, it's not. That's malice. That's, that's meanness. And unresolved anger... In, in any of these forms is, is a lot of times going to fuel other sins at the same time. Sometimes it'll, add, it'll, it'll put two or three or four of these things together. But a lot of times those things spill over into something else. Um, when a man harbors anger toward his wife, he starts to justify maybe immoral thoughts. When a woman harbors, harbors business toward her husband, she might look outside of the marriage to get that emotional support that she needs. And that's what I'm saying. A lot of these things lead to other things at the same time. It's, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27 warns us that anger literally helps Satan. Look at verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. If you go back in verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. Let not, your sun go down upon, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. That's exactly what he's talking about. And if you notice in your Bible, punctuation is important. That's not the end of the sentence, right? There's a colon right there before it goes into verse 27, which means there's a continuation of that thought. Don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Basically, if you do, then you are giving place to the devil. You're allowing the devil to get a foothold in your life when you allow that anger to come in there. And so in, in cautioning against allowing anger to, to linger in our relationship, Paul is telling us that. Don't give place to the devil. That's what he wants. He wants you to be angry. He wants you to be mad at each other. Because he knows that if you're not a team working together, 
then he's got you where he wants you. And he can add a whole lot of other things into that. Give him that foothold. And when you allow anger to dwell in our hearts, we're literally giving Satan room to work. Anger almost always turns into a deep root of bitterness that, that always adversely affects our relationship. And so if we allow that anger, and I mean, this is, there's so much to everything that we read in the Bible, but if we just read into verse 26 and 27 a little bit, don't be angry. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Then what that is saying is when you're angry at each other, you're giving the devil a foothold in your life, and that's all he needs to start pushing a lot of other things in there as well. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Unforgiveness is one of the tactics that Satan uses to destroy our lives. Well, I can't forgive that person. I can't believe they said that about me, or I can't believe they did that to me. And yes, they should never have done that. And unless they get that taken care of, it's going to destroy their life. But when you allow what they did to fester, when you allow that to cause anger, you're giving the devil a foothold in your own life, and it's going to destroy you because of something that they did. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." Boy, if that is not as clear as day that it's saying when we don't forgive, we are falling prey to exactly what Satan wants. And he says, I'm not going to not forgive. I'm not ignorant of what Satan is trying to do here. He's trying to destroy us. And when I don't forgive, that's exactly what he's being allowed to do. That's why we have to guard against anger and bitterness vigilantly. When we make small exceptions, we may find that, that they burrow deep into our relationship and work destruction in ways that we don't even understand. Maybe not even realize. But God is, is very specific in, in his instruction about what we should be doing with anger. He says, let all forms of anger be put away from you. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, let them be put away from you. Just get rid of them. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting, but the, but the phrase put away is translated from one Greek word, which, mean, which is airo, A-I-R-O. And it means to take up or away, to lift up, to loose. And it gives the idea of lightening your load. You're carrying a heavy load when you're carrying anger and bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking. And what he's saying is, put them away. Put away doesn't necessarily mean put them up on the shelf so we can get to them later. It means get rid of them, lighten your load. You ever seen what happens in a ship when they're going through the middle of a, of a I mean, it doesn't happen as much anymore because the ships are made different day. Uh, than they were today, but, you know, some of these old ships that used to be going through the middle of a storm, what is one of the things that they did? They start throwing stuff overboard. The lighter the ship is, the better it's going to be able to handle in the middle of that storm, right? You see that with the story of Jonah, right? God caused that huge storm to come up because of Jonah's sin, and what did they do? They threw everything overboard, and finally they said, somebody on this ship is the problem, and they pinpointed it to Jonah, and when they threw him overboard, the sea was calm, Right? But that's what they used to do. Lighten the load. Get rid of those things. That's the things that are burdening, burdening, burdening you down. So the way to travel heavy is to let an offense provoke anger in your heart and, and let it escalate into bitterness. The way to travel light is to learn to forgive. And so number two, then, is lightening your load. Lightening your load. Some people 
think of forgiveness as stuffing an offense out of sight. As long as we can't see it, you know, pretend it never happened. Uh, for instance, you might have a, a, a spouse who is unrepentant that may demand forgiveness and never deals with the sin that he or she committed against the other person. You need to forgive me. The Bible says you need to forgive me. Well, they're not necessarily asking forgiveness because they're sorry about what they did. They're just demanding that you forgive them. What they're demanding is that you just put it out of sight. Just, just pretend like it never happened. But biblical forgiveness isn't stuffing an offense deep into your luggage and then still carrying it. It's, it's handing the offense over to God. It's trusting God to be the judge and release your right to pass judgment. That's why Joseph's brothers, obviously they sinned very deeply against him. Um, they were fearful that he was going to retaliate. But what did Joseph say? You see this in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 19. Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? Now, he wasn't saying that what they did when they sold him into slavery was okay. He wasn't saying that what you guys did was, was perfectly fine. No, he was saying, who am I to judge you? I forgave you a long time ago. God's going to be the judge. He said, why would I retaliate? God's the one that, you know, am, am I God? Do I have the right to judge you for what you did? No, I don't have the right to do that. I forgave you a long time ago. And that, that same truth is echoed in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 when Paul writes to the persecuted Christians, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So a, a Christian that is a, a forgiving Christian is also going to remember what's written in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. What does it say there? Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Uh-oh. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You are forgiven of all the offenses that you've ever done in your entire life when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and he forgave you without holding it over your head, right? How much easier should it be for us who are imperfect to forgive somebody else that does something against us? Um, Christians are not good people. We're forgiven people. And we are not going to heaven because of our goodness. We're going to heaven because of the forgiveness that God gave us. And it's because of that forgiveness that we've been given commands to forgive others in the same way that God's forgiven us. We think that our unwillingness to forgive is related to the size of the offense that was committed against us. Well, you know, uh, if somebody hurts me greatly, it's harder for me to forgive them. But in reality, in reality, it's usually related to our forgetfulness of the forgiveness that we've received. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor for many, many years. Uh, he's written a lot of just excellent, excellent books. But he said this, Whenever I see myself before God and realize something of what my blessed Lord has done for me at Calvary, I'm ready to forgive anybody anything. I cannot withhold it. I do not ever want to withhold it. So Jesus boiled forgiveness down to three basic steps. Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 and 4. We'll try to get through this first one, and then we'll be done. Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 and 4. Take heed to yourself, to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So, refu uh, uh, rebuke, repent, forgive. Rebuke, repent, forgive. Rebuke, repent, forgive. Those are the three steps that Jesus gives us when it comes to lightening our load. So here's the first one, then, is rebuke. 
The first response to an offense is to go directly to the person that offended you. And, we're, and this is why I say this, this works in any relationship, uh, but especially um, with our spouse, you know, go directly to that person that's responsible for offending you and tell them what they did. You know, there's a lot of times when somebody says something or does something and doesn't even realize that they offended you when they said it or did it, right? And they might not even know that you're mad at them. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're being treated completely different, and you don't even know why. Well, it's our responsibility, according to what the Bible says here in Luke chapter 17, that we're supposed to go to that person and tell them how they offended us. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. It's not saying, you know, go jump down his throat and everything else, but he's saying, you need to tell him what they did. You know, let them know, you offended me when you said that. You offended me when you did that. And that may seem pretty self-evident, but a lot of couples don't do that. And depending on a person's personality, their past, their, their, the health of their relationship or whatever else, he, he may or may not say anything about the offense. You know, he might just hold it in. But both of those uh, responses, because the other, the other one is to, you know, to jump down somebody's throat, jump down their throat and get all mad at them or not say anything about it at all. Both of those responses are harmful to relationship and they become a barrier to forgiveness. Uh, the simple truth from this verse is don't talk about the person that hurts you. Talk to the person that hurts you. Our natural response is to go tell somebody else about what that person did, right? Go talk to that person instead. The question uh, um, arises then, who goes to the other first? Is it the person who did the offending or the person who was offended? Who goes first? Well, the answer is yes. Right? The person that offended him should be going to them, and the person who was offended should be going to them. So both of you should be going to each other. I'm sorry I offended you. Hey, you offended me, and I just wanted to let you know that it, that it hurt me. <laughs> you know? Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus instructs that if somebody considers that you have wronged him, thy brother hath ought against thee. And we'll look at this in a second, but you have to go to him for reconciliation. And in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says that if someone does something against you, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, you're to go to him. We have those two verses written out for us there, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath, hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Now, this is not saying that, oh, you're going to put your offering down there and you remember that you offended somebody. Take it there, go back, you know, get those things right, and then you can come give to God. No, he's saying, if you go to bring your gift there, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, which you might be able to take that both ways, you did something and they're mad at you, or they did something to you and you ups you're upset at them. He says... Your gifts don't count until your heart is right with God. Leave it there at the altar. Go get that thing taken care of, and then you can come and finish giving your gift. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. A, uh, a Christian counselor wrote a book. His name is Jay Adams. He's, he said this. There is never a time when you can sit and wait for your brother to come to you. Jesus doesn't allow for that. He gives no opportunity for that. It is always your obligation to go. And that goes for, for either side, somebody that's offended you or somebody that you've offended. Your responsibility is to go to that person. 
God's not as interested in assigning blame as he is in us solving the problem. He wants our relationship to be right. And look, if your relationship with him is right, then your relationship with others is going to be right too because you're going to go to the people that you've offended or you're going to go to the people that have offended you. Um, the issue is not so much determining roles, who was hurt, who was the one that did the hurting, as it is in facilitating the response and the, and the reconciliation of the relationship. And that requires humility on both parts. One person has to be humble enough to initiate it. And God says, you should be the one that's humble enough to initiate it. Who? The one that was offended. Who? The one that did the offending. We should both be humble enough to go. Which means if we're both doing what we should be doing, there should never be offenses that are outstanding between any of us because the guy who did the offending is coming and the guy who was offended is coming and, oh, well, we were, I was going to talk to you about that anyway. So, yeah, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. You know? That's how it should be. So rebuke is the first one. We ought to be going to that person. And then you can write this down and we'll be done. Repentance. You've heard a statement before. When you forgive, you set two people free and you realize that one of them was you. That's what repentance is all about. And we'll talk about that when we get together next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the time we've had together here this morning. Pray that you would bless the morning service as well. We thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.